Welcome to the Vulva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Gail Fisher, who's a professor of dermatology at the University of Sydney in Sydney, Australia. She's written books and has many years of research in the area of vulvar dermatology and lichen sclerosis. Hi, Dr. Fisher. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So we're going to talk a little bit about steroids today. Can you tell us about the importance of using steroids long-term in some vulvar conditions? Okay. So all dermatology conditions, and that really involves just about everything that afflicts the vulva, need long-term control. There is very little in dermatology that we can actually cure, unfortunately. And virtually everything we're treating is something that we need long-term control, and this will go on all sorts of conditions that don't affect the vulva. But the fact is that the things that affect the vulva usually also affect the rest of the skin. So you can extrapolate your knowledge from the rest of the skin to the vulva. Now, there are certain conditions that are particularly steroid-responsive on the vulva, and the one that really comes to mind is lichen sclerosis. In fact, I would go so far to say that if something isn't responding to a reasonable potency of topical steroids, you have to think again about whether this condition is actually lichen sclerosis or not. But there are other conditions too where steroids are very important, and that includes vulval lichen planus and vulval psoriasis. They would be the three where I think I would use steroids the most often. And because they're chronic conditions, the ongoing use of steroids is in fact essential for all of these things. Yes, it is good with psoriasis and lichen planus to find steroid sparers because the very potent topical steroids that you need to control them tend to lose effectiveness with time. But this isn't the case with lichen sclerosis. In fact, the longer you treat lichen sclerosis, in fact, the less potent the steroid needs to be if patients are very compliant with treatment. So that goes in the opposite direction. And we can use steroids in this condition very long term with virtually no side effects at all. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's been noticed not only in things I've researched, but it's been observed in other people's research as well. I think that that's a great segue to asking you about how patients are terrified of side effects. You know, they come and they say they're worried about skin thinning, that they're going to get cancer, that their immune system's going to be weakened. So what do you tell them? Well, I tell them the facts because by now we've built up really a, a good bank of research that shows how safe these medications are. But I think when you have fear, there's two kinds of fear. There's rational fear that's based on um, information, whether the information's correct or not is irrelevant, and then there's phobia. And phobia is very hard to change because that's, uh, I guess, you could call it a psychiatric condition. But certainly with people who have rational fear, I think that is amenable to being modified by information, by factual information. So I start out by saying, okay, these things have actually been around since the 1950s, so there's an awful lot we know about them very long term. And we know that if they're used properly, like all medications, they can be used safely. I draw the analogy with, say, paracetamol, okay? So we all take paracetamol from time to time, 
and it's safe and it's an effective pain reliever and, in fact, one of the ones with the least side effects. However, if you take a whole box of paracetamol, you can most certainly kill yourself. And this is a truth about all medications that if they're improperly used, they can be dangerous. So I show them the evidence as to how these medications can be used safely. I show them the research that indicates that it's actually safer to use them than not to use them in certain conditions, particularly lichen sclerosis. And I sometimes show them before and after pictures, and I can show them pictures of patients I have who've, say, been using topical steroids for maybe 20 years and on lichen sclerosis, and there are no side effects. I also put into perspective the actual side effects that do happen. And to be honest, skin thinning is really such fake news. And in fact, I've run focus groups on this and asked patients, well, what is skin thinning? What do you, what do you think it is? What does it look like? And you know what? There's just dead silence. Nobody knows, but it just sounds so bad and it's all over the internet. And the fact is that if you do produce some atrophy with tropical corticosteroids and that usually evidences itself by some erythema, by some telangiectasia. As soon as you drop the strength down or take a break from the steroid, it just reverses itself. And in fact, any atrophic changes you might see from topical steroids that are permanent, and here strii come to mind, are very, very unusual and only happen with inappropriate use. Now, why are people so terrified of topical steroids? It's a really good question, and it's been a fact for maybe 10, 20 years. It was already happening when I first went into practice, which was a long time ago. And I think it's part of the fake news culture that we live in today. It is just all over the internet that steroids will thin your skin. Some of it says it will weaken your immune system. They most definitely do not give you cancer. And that has been shown over and over again in research. There's no evidence that steroids give you cancer whatsoever. But it's just out there and it's a belief. And in fact, there's a more recent thing that fortunately hasn't really gotten much traction in social media, and that is this concept of the red skin syndrome, which in my opinion is a withdrawal reaction when you've been putting too much steroid on psoriasis, which we all know as dermatologists can happen as a result of tachyphylaxis and then sudden withdrawal. So that's the group that have a rational fear. I think that you can talk that those people around and you can say that the research actually indicates that the use of tropical steroids in lichen sclerosis reduces your risk of cancer. It most definitely halts the scarring. It normalizes your life. It takes away the symptoms. You are safer to be on them than not on them. Often I have to say it quite a few times and maybe it's till the third consultation that the message comes through but I find most of my patients get the message. Now, if you have someone who's truly phobic, that's a whole different situation, and that's a really difficult one. As we know, phobias are very hard to shift, to change, and I think as a health professional, you need to try and figure out whether you've got a phobic patient or just a frightened patient on your hand. If someone's so truly phobic that they just can't bring themselves to use these things, well, what are your alternatives? I do not believe an alternative is to use a calcium urine inhibitor because these have been shown to precipitate malignancy in lichen sclerosis. I just simply keep observing these people so that if something does go wrong, I can pick it up really quickly. And I just encourage these people to keep coming for follow-up, try to be as understanding as possible about their attitude to these things and leave it at that.
So I actually tell people all about your study when they say, oh, I didn't think I could use them for a long time. I say, well, actually, there's these great researchers from Australia who have a paper of over 500 women and only seven people had thinning and people who use their steroids never got cancer. And it was always the group that didn't use their steroids. Like I use your paper all the time to counsel patients and it's very useful. That's great. I'm pleased to change things out there. And to write a paper like that where you didn't have a formal randomized control group and to be able to say the steroids will stop cancer, you can't really say that in a scientific paper. But, oh, boy, you know what? That paper was published five years ago. And in those five years, I've continued to see that cohort and many more. And I would honestly say I have not seen a single cancer in people who've used the treatment properly. And I think the reason the rest of the medical world believed me or believed that paper was where they thought, hey, yeah, you know what? We haven't either. Has that been your experience, Amanda? For the most part, I always wonder if there's some very tiny subset of lichen that's extremely aggressive. And I don't know what's different about it, but it's only a very few people that doesn't seem to matter what you do, that they progress very quickly and they've gotten cancers. But I don't think it's anything to do with the steroids, obviously. I think there's some unusual group, but very, very few in number. The vast majority of people, exactly, if you treat them and they stay on steroids, they do way, way better than the people who just use them as needed. Yeah. And the other thing that I've observed is it really does help the scarring. I would say 50% of patients that I see for the first time have already scarred. And because in our database we keep so much photographic data, we can see that they don't scar anymore after they use the topical steroids. But also getting onto the discussion about patients with very severe LS, that brings me to the importance of matching the strength of the steroid to the severity of the disease. Now, I do have some patients who have been using clobetasol, either 0.05 or 0.1%, every day for years and it is the only thing that will keep them safe and you know normally people would say well wow you can't put a super potent topical steroid on a patient day after day year after year but you know what you can if the ls is that severe then it will kind of slurp it up and they won't get any side effects from it and it's an interesting phenomenon that somehow the body responds to the topical steroids in a way that prevents side effects. So even those very, very severe ones, if they really keep up the very strong steroids and they keep it up for long enough, eventually, and this might take years, things improve. I'm assuming your pharmacists are similar to ours. We give patients these prescriptions for long-term strong steroids and they go to fill them and the pharmacist tells them that you can't do that for a long time and these are very strong and you need to be very careful and use a tiny bit and They undo a lot of our hard work. What do you tell patients about that? Oh, yeah, that is the same in Australia. It must just be the same all over the world. Well, firstly, I'm saddened that pharmacists are so poorly informed. And I have tried speaking to pharmacists. I have offered to come to our pharmacy school at Sydney University and give them a talk. They don't want to know is my experience. I find it odd. But anyway, I have also received hate mail (laughs) after speaking to pharmacists. Okay, what do I tell my patients? I pre-warn them. I feel kind of bad about it because I'm saying something not very good about another health professional. But you know what? 
I think being pre-warned before you get to the pharmacy is probably good. I'm sure you're aware of studies that show that patients tend to be most influenced by whoever talked to them last, and that is often the pharmacist. But I say, look, when you get to the pharmacy, you may very well be told, this is very strong, be careful with it, use it sparingly, that's one of their favourite words. Don't use it for any longer than 10 days. And I say, look, this is what pharmacists believe, but it might be true of all sorts of other conditions, but it's not true of what you have. You have something rare and it's probably true that your pharmacist doesn't know what it is. And furthermore, in Australia, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in Australia, pharmacists will ask people, what are you using this for? What condition do you have? Where are you going to put it? And you know what? If you are standing in the middle of a busy pharmacy and there are people all around you, it's mortifying and it takes people by surprise. And then they're they're sort of standing there going, uh, 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 uh. So I also say to them, look, if the pharmacist interrogates you about what you have, this is what you say, I've been to a specialist, I've been given this by a specialist, I've been told how to use it, I'm okay with what to do. So I just prep them. And if they come back to me and say, oh, I I didn't use that treatment because the pharmacist told me it was going to be dangerous. I usually say, well, tell me the name of your pharmacist and I'll give them a ring and have a chat. And you know what? They never do. (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. But I just try to put it into perspective that the pharmacists don't quite have the knowledge of the doctors and certainly not about the condition that we're treating. That's amazing. I find that helps too. And also because so many of them have seen so many doctors before they've seen us that a lot of patients understand that a lot of people don't know much about vulvar diseases at all. So as the pharmacist is not going to know about this, they know about other things, but they don't necessarily know about this and it's okay. We know we see it all the time and get that trust there. Yeah, you know, to some extent, I tend to think they've almost got PTSD by the time they get to us because they have seen a lot of other doctors because vulvar disease is still not gaining the traction in the medical world that it needs to. And I don't know how we fix that. It's so hard and it's women's health and it's just not high on the priority list. And I think it behoves us all of us in dermatology and related specialties that see these patients to just get out there and try to raise the profile somehow. But yeah, there's a lot of ignorance and the result, I don't know how many on average other doctors, patients have seen before they come to you. For me, it's on average about 10 people before they see me. It's so sad to hear that these things are similar all over the world, but hopefully things like these interviews actually help with knowledge and and more education about these conditions. So what about kids? I know you see children and people get worried about long-term steroid use in their children. Exactly the same thing. I do see a lot of kids and probably the youngest I've ever seen with a new case of Ellis would be about three. I know in the literature it says it can present in infancy. So far I've not seen that. So I see children from very early childhood right through to age 18. And in fact, I'm so old now that I've got some 18-year-olds, even people in their 20s that I started seeing as young children. I find that treating LS in children is absolutely no different from treating it in adults. The difference is they don't get cancer, but they sure get scarring. And they get other things too, like constipation and urinary symptoms and things that really are red herrings that lead them to all sorts of specialists they don't need to see. It might lead them to child protection. And again, this is the trauma that parents go through. I think you have to be just as aggressive in treating children as you do in adults. If you want to get them better, there is no difference. It's just 
as okay to use the potent steroids in children. And in fact, I think our group were the first to publish on that. We had a, a publication in pediatric dermatology. It was way back in the 80s. And very soon afterwards, Amy Paller from Chicago and her group also followed up with a similar paper to say that top, potent topical steroids were indicated in the use of lichen sclerosis. And when we did our paper on long-term treatment in adults, we also did one in children. That one was not so powerful because it was a retrospective and, of course, there were less people in it. But it was the same thing. Now, there's something that I've observed that I can't prove because I don't have the numbers and I don't, of course, have a control group. But an awful lot of kids get a clitoral phimosis with LS. It's a really common thing. We're just doing a retrospective study on it at the moment. You can release it if you put topical steroid on it. And the other thing that I suspect but I can't prove because I just don't have sufficient data is that unless you keep it very tightly controlled around puberty, they are not going to develop a normal vulva. They are not going to develop normal labia minora. They're not going to develop a normal clitoris. So again, it's much more important for them to be on treatment than not on treatment. And I say to parents when I first diagnose a child, look, even if we've got everything completely normal and everything's going really well, you cannot stop treatment. You cannot make any changes until after puberty. Maybe after puberty, it might remit. And, you know, sometimes it does. And we can attempt to reduce treatment. But until the whole vulva is normally developed, we can't stop treatment. Now, currently, we're doing one of our latest bit of research is we're doing some social research on what happens in adolescence with the minds of children who've had LS for a long time. Because something that I've noticed that is interesting is that a lot of them are absolutely terrified to use a tampon. You know, most teenage girls, they get their periods, they grab a tampon and off they go. These kids are absolutely terrified. So their heads have been done in by their previous experiences. So we're about to do some focus group work looking at why the wheels fall off at adolescence, why kids are scared, and how this might translate later into sexual dysfunction. In other words, I'm trying to find out how better can I help my adolescent patients, how do I start prepping them before adolescence so that the wheels don't fall off and so that they don't stop their treatment because it's such a common thing. But just a very simple answer to your question, can kids use steroids? Yes, definitely, just like adults. Thank you so much to Dr. Gail Fisher, who is a professor of dermatology at the University of Sydney and an expert in lichen sclerosis. This was part one of the two-week series with Dr. Fisher on steroid therapy, so tune in next week for part two.